Would you stand for the reading of God's word this morning? Mark 8, 31 through 38. For then began, for he, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priest, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at him, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? For that can only, for only what can one give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my, world, and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Mary, for your help this morning. You may be seated. God is good. Amen. All the time. God is good. Amen. I want to invite you, if you want to, if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark. Stay there. We're going we're gonna to walk through this scripture together as we continue our Lenten journey to the cross this morning. And uh, it is an incredible invitation that we have all been given. An incredible invitation. And it's an invitation that we must take seriously. We must take it seriously. And I want to talk a little bit more about that today. But there's many times when we receive certain invitations in life where we have to count the cost of what it's worth for this invitation. I remember vividly in my life, there were times uh, where I was walking down a path that I thought was God's plan for my life. And uh, I'm not saying anything that won't get me in trouble later with my wife, but I need you to be know this and it's transparent. I, I have planned three weddings in my life. I've only been married once, but I have planned three weddings in my life. And in every one of those weddings, the invitation was one of the first and most important things that we did. You spent a lot of time on those invitations. And we would send the invitations out. I remember, um, I remember the first set of invitations. We, this sounds so bad. Uh, Lord, help us uh, to understand the point here. Um, the first invitations we sent out, we made all by hand. And we stamped them and we embossed them and it was, it was incredible. I can just imagine as people received this invitation, they just couldn't wait to get to our wedding. I couldn't wait either. That's why I ran. Yeah. Uh, no. But we get an invitation and we have to count, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Let me, let me lighten the mood a little bit because I don't want to be in trouble and sleeping on the couch tonight. Um, yeah, I'm treading water. I'm trying to keep it above my head above water here. Um, there's a game that, that my brother plays with our kids every time we get together. And uh, it's a game that uh, our kids, as we're driving to Oklahoma, we're going to see my brother. Inevitably, one of the kids will say, I wonder how much money we're going to get from Uncle Brady. And the game is this. He asks them, would you do something for this amount of money? In other words, what he's really saying is, 
is it worth it for this amount of money? Let me, let me give you an example, okay? Let me give you an example. Would it be worth it to anybody for $10? $10 for you to eat one of my toenails? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right, yeah. Uh, yeah, probably not to many of you, but now you're starting to think, aren't you? This is invitation. This pastor's weird. So here's another one. Here's another one to think about. Now, I don't have this amount of money with me, or, or I don't have it, and I'm not going to pretend that I do. But would it be worth it to you for a million dollars? For a million dollars. Would that change the scenario? <laughs> let, let me give you another example. For a million dollars, would it be worth it? Would it be worth it? And I don't know if he's in here or not would it be worth it to be hit by a moving bus for a million dollars yeah you see so you're thinking though you're thinking right okay so you're thinking is it worth what the invitation is so if you're taking notes today i want you to jot that down that's the first thing in your outline this morning if you're following along online get your bulletins out get ready to take notes how much how much is the invitation worth? How much is the invitation worth? Today in our text, we see another invitation that Jesus presents to us. We see another invitation where we must decide as we receive this invitation, how much is it worth? Let me, let me give you a little, little uh, preparation, if you will, for what we're going to talk about today. Because I believe it's very important for us to realize with every invitation, there comes a series of steps that we take. So today, we're going to look at a couple things when it comes to this invitation that we've received. We see a moment of preparation, a moment of preparation where there's plans for an event. We see it coming. We see the buildup happening. Then we see that there's sometimes adjustments that must be made. With every plan or everything that's attempted, we see that sometimes we have to switch gears. We have to pivot. We need to make changes or adjustments. And then finally, we must decide, after it's all said and done, is it worth it? Is it worth it? So I want us to walk through our text this morning and to see how these aspects of this invitation, this sacred invitation, help us determine the outcome. So the first thing let's look at is we need to see in our text today that there was a preparation moment. There was a preparation moment. In verses 31 to 32, we read about Jesus. He's getting straight to the point. He's getting straight to the point. And I love Mark's gospel because Mark, Mark gets, he doesn't, he doesn't deal with all the fluff. Mark just jumps right in and he gets to it. And so that's what we're reading today. Jesus, up to this point in his time with his disciples has been preparing them and teaching them and discipling them with things called parables. He's been telling them stories. That's what he's been doing. But at this point, he pivots, he makes in a change, and he begins to prepare them very directly for what's about to happen. And he begins to tell them in verses 31 and 32, he speaks very plainly to them, he speaks very directly to them, and he's trying to prepare them 
for what's about to happen. Let's recap it for a minute. In, in, in Pastor BJ's paraphrase, Jesus comes to his disciples. He's saying to them, look, guys, there is coming a day very soon when the Son of Man, myself, the person you've been following for all of these years, is going to face some terrible things because of who I am. People of religious leadership are going to come and they're going to reject what I'm saying even more so. They're going to tell you and try to infiltrate your minds to tell you that what I'm saying is not true. And I want you to know that my entire purpose in life was to come and to suffer these things and to die. You need to be prepared for that. He's telling his closest friends, look guys, I know that you were expecting a Messiah, a Savior, a somebody to come and to reign and to rule and to change the landscape of what we're used to. That is true. And Jesus did that. But they were expecting it in a way that was different than what Jesus' purpose was. Jesus is now telling them, I have come to be that person, to be that Messiah, but here's the catch. The whole purpose of me coming was so that I must die. I am going to die. But guess what, guys? It's not finished there. It's not over. I'm going to die. But then three days later, as we've just talked about, I'm going to rise again. Praise God. There's good news in this, but he's preparing his disciples. He's preparing his followers for the cross. He's speaking very directly to them. He's telling them what the plan is. And here's the preparation. Guys, we're going to the cross. The whole purpose of my life was to go and die. Here's the plan. Here's the process. Here's the steps. Now let's go do it. Now let's go do it. So let's pause there for a minute in our story. I mentioned briefly about preparing for a wedding. Um, I wanted so badly this week to be able to rent a tux and to get prepared to show you, to illustrate part of that. You see, when a guy prepares for a wedding, there's way fewer details that we have to worry about. All the women said, amen. Thank you. You're listening. Good, good. Now, I, in, my, in my experience, I've been, I've been a groomsman. I've been a best man. And thankfully, uh, I've been a groom. And so it's fun. But in every one of those preparations, every one of those invites... There was different process that had to be taken place. So when I was a groomsman, we would have to go. We, we accepted the invitation to stand with our friend. And we had to go and get fitted for this monkey suit. And we had to make sure that measurements were right. And we tried things on. And then we waited. And as a groomsman, you don't really care about much of the detail. You just have to show up and not be late, you know. Um, so you get there, you, you go the day before or whenever it is, they call you and you go and you try on the stuff that you've ordered and you make sure it fits. And if it doesn't fit and you're a groomsman and it doesn't fit, you're just like, yeah, no big deal. Well, then if you, if you advance in the friendship a little bit and you become the best man at a wedding, you know, again, you're not having to deal with all the details of the food and the catering and all of the extra stuff that the girls are dealing with. All you have to worry about is you need to make sure that your tux fit, fits and the groom's tux fits. So you go into that same day and you're, you're preparing for all of this to happen. And then you go into the fitting 
And then all of a sudden, the groom's tux, the pants are too short. And you're thinking, what are we going to do? The wedding's tomorrow. His, his pants don't fit. So as the best man, you have to go back to the, to the tailor and you got to just really be mean. Like, I don't care what you have to do. If you've got to fly to France to get this fixed, you got to do it because he's getting married tomorrow. And if he doesn't get married tomorrow or he walks down the aisle looking like this, his wife's going to kill me. And so you have a little bit more responsibility. Then, as a groom, the preparation changes even more. Now, somebody else is making sure your clothes fit, which is kind of nice. But if you don't show up, they get a little worried. They start to get concerned. Well, what's going on? What's so? Let me tell you. Let me fast forward and, and rewind at the same time here to 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 my. Uh, my, my third preparation in this with my wonderful wife, Alicia. You'd think I would have known better, but that day came. It was a wonderful day. My tux fit. I was ready. I was ready to go. I, I was even at the church ahead of time. I was in the back. I was dressed. I was ready to go. And then all of a sudden I find out that she's not happy. She's not happy. So I thought I did everything that I was supposed to do to prepare for this event. Everything fit right. I was on time. I was going to show up. I was ready to walk down the aisle. There was no cold feet. I was ready. I knew this was it. One thing I forgot to do. I forgot to check in with her that day. She was worried I was dead. You can ask her. I know you guys will go when I talk about her. You guys go and talk about her and go tell her what I said. And then I get in trouble at home just so you know. But you can tell her this one, okay? She was mad. We got done. I said, hey, honey, I showed up. Man, just forget that I didn't call you that day. We got all of our life to talk to one another. It didn't go over well. It didn't go over well. You see... When we're preparing for something, we have to make sure everything is just right. Every step is followed. And Jesus, in our text today, he's preparing his disciples. Something that you think is bad is about to happen. Something that you think may not be worth it is going to happen. I'm going to the cross and you need to be prepared for it. The reality of this invitation that God has for us is that he's calling all of us to be reminded of that. Jesus went to the cross, and just like Jesus, we too are being invited to the cross. Just like last week when we talked about that invitation, Jesus was thrust into the wilderness, and it was an invitation to encounter God. Today, we see Jesus preparing his invitation to the cross and preparing us for that same invitation. Today, folks, I want you to know you're being invited to the cross. Here's what we need to know about the cross, though. The cross is not a hurdle. The cross is not a hurdle. The cross is not just some hardship that we deal with and that we get over and that we move on from. The cross 
is not just some difficult road that we may have to go down for a season of life. That's not what our cross is, folks. The cross is the road. The cross is the purpose. The hard times, the difficult times, the dying out to our desires and our wants is the road. We are being invited to die. We are not just being invited to go through hard times. We are not just being invited to just get over something that's been really difficult and move on with life. Jesus is preparing us. He's inviting us. Folks, this is it. There is no plan B. We're going to the cross. Are you coming with me or not? And we have to be prepared that the cross is the invitation today. The cross is the invitation today. And so we are being prepared in this moment of preparation. Jesus is saying, I am inviting you to the cross. Now we see in our text some adjustments that need to be made. We see in verses 32 and 33, Peter steps up and he begins to make some adjustments. Peter's a good best man, isn't he? Jesus, we've been with you for three years now. We know that this is not how it's supposed to be. You are going to be the king that reigns and that rules and that, that takes us away from the oppression of the Roman government. You are going to be the king that changes the world. You are going to be the one that we've been waiting for. You are not going to die. And Peter begins to make adjustments. And it wasn't just a matter of the suit pants not fitting. Peter's trying to shift the entire focus off of what the plan is. Peter's trying to change the entire plan. And in verse 32, we say we see this. Peter took him, took Jesus aside, and began to reprimand him, is what one translation said. Rebuke him. Reprimand him for saying such things. In other words, Peter's saying, you know what? You're not talking what we like to hear. You're not saying things that we like to hear. We're part of your inner circle. We're part of the guys that are now going to be elevated because you're going to be king. I don't want to hear that you're going to die. And Peter pulls Jesus aside quietly, separately, which again is not Peter's nature. Peter is very upfront. Peter is bold. He is brash. He has just been in one of the other gospels. If you look at this from sequential order, he has just declared to Jesus who he is. And Jesus has exalted him. He has praised him for being Peter. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. But in this moment, Peter takes Jesus aside. He says, Jesus, you've lost it. This is not the plan. This is not the invitation that you gave us back on the seashore when you said, come and follow me and I will help you fish for people. This isn't the same. And Jesus looks around and he sees that Peter is pulling him aside because Peter does not like this plan. I want to pause here for a minute. I want to share some truth with you and reveal something that's come to me this, this past couple weeks as I've studied these passages of Scripture. 
one of my one of my colleagues, one of my pastor friends that that we've been talking about this text together with, he said something that was really really good, and I want to I want to share that with you. Last week we talked about Jesus being thrust into the wilderness. One of the things that he said was that Jesus was put into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the enemy, by Satan, so that he could become familiar with the enemy's voice. I thought that was so good. He was thrust into the wilderness for 40 days so he could get used to hearing the voice of the enemy. You see, Jesus learned to recognize the voice of the enemy. And this week, we see Jesus hearing the rebuke of his closest friend, Peter. And in verse 33, Jesus it says, Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples. And then he pulls Peter back to the group and he reprimands Peter. And he says to Peter, get away from me, Satan. You see, in the wilderness, Jesus knew Satan's voice. And because he spent that time getting to know the enemy's voice, now some smart guys that write the big books that, that they say that Jesus was not addressing Peter, the person, in this moment. But rather, Jesus recognized that the words that were coming out of Peter's mouth were Satan's words himself. And he says to Peter, he's looking at Peter, but he's addressing Satan. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. In other words, Jesus can do this because he understands and recognizes the voice of the enemy. What we need to realize is that sometimes the voice of the enemy sounds a lot like our closest friends. Mm. Sometimes the enemy uses those who are so close to us to speak words that are against what the invitation is for. You're being called to die. Your friend doesn't want to lose you. Your friend doesn't want you to see the hardship. Your friend doesn't want to go through hard times, so they're going to say things to you to make you feel good. Jesus understood that the voice of the enemy was trying to be used through one of his closest friends. We need to be very careful, folks of the adjustments that we are faced with when we're given an invitation. It's not about just the pants fitting. It's about our life. It's about our future. It's about our purpose. It's about His plan for us. It's about everything that He has created you for. And if you're not living closely enough to understand and recognize Jesus' voice, then you're going to be deceived by the enemy's voice. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. This preparation, this invitation, the preparation has been made. This is going to be hard, folks. This is your life. This is everything. This is it. And then we try to make adjustments. Those that are close to us make adjustments. We don't want the bad things to happen. The invitation is to the cross. The invitation for us today is to die. And if we're not ready to die, if, 
that we begin to try to make these adjustments just like Peter did. We don't like the hardships. We don't like living in a life that's not normal and easy. We don't like living by our own, uh, uh, that's not living by our own agenda. We want to do things that, that we want to do. If you're a parent, you know this all too well. As your kids begin to grow up and they begin to, to face and find freedom in their life, they begin to want to do things for themselves. And it's hard. I'm right there in the middle of it. I've got four, almost four teenagers in my house right now. You can pray for me. You know, somebody was talking about my gray beard. It's because I have four teenagers in my house right now. And if it's not one, it's another. That when we talk about plans or preparations, you can see the wheels turning in their heads. Well, that's not what I want to do. That's not what my plan was. And then it, it, it manifests itself in teenage tantrums. You know what I'm talking about? And you know what's scary about teenage tantrums? They, they resemble adult hissy fits. Yeah. You know, we sit here, we, we criticize our kids sometimes, and I'm the worst at it, so I'm telling my kids right now because they're all in here, I, I'm sorry, I love you. I'm not sorry, I love you. I, <laughs> I love my kids. I love all four of you. I'm so thankful for you. Um, but I'm sorry that we ridicule and we blame and we point a finger because many times we're doing the same thing. If it's not our wish, if it's not our way, we throw a hissy fit. And, but we can say something, to, and I've said these words. My kids are going to say amen to this one. I know it. I'm the dad. You can tell me how to do things when you get a job and you're paying for things. All the Thelander kids said, a couple of them are awake still, yes. Yeah. We've said it, haven't we? But we do the same thing because it doesn't fit our agenda. And that's what Peter's saying here. Peter realizes that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. And what Peter thinks in his head is that now he's first in line to be VP. And being VP seems like a nice job. But being VP means you're going to die. It means the invitation is to surrender ourselves. And so he tries to make adjustments. You see, we've been prepared for the plan. We try to make our own adjustments. And then finally, we must count the cost of the cross. We must count the cost of the cross. I want to reread the last part of this text this morning. From verses 33, the second half of verse 33 to 37 here. Would you follow along as I read these words again? You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. Stop right there for a minute. This, this is just, this is really cool. He doesn't say take up your cross first, does he? He says we must turn from our selfish ways first. In other words, you need to be totally surrendered to be fit for your cross. Let's keep going. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. 
and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? See, when we count the cost of the cross in our own life, we have to look beyond our human point of view. We must begin to ask God for heavenly, eternal eyes to see the plan His way. Then we count the cost. Here's the reality for us today. Every one of us in here is going to live and is going to die. It's just the reality. So you're either going to live and die with Satan or you will live and die with Christ. There's no other option. Okay? Well, I don't have to do that. I can ride the fence. I can, I can let's, use a, let's use a popular term. I can self-identify as a person of own, my own interest. You know what? If you do that, you will never have to fight Satan ever again. Because he's already got you. He's already got you. I was just talking to somebody this morning. The reality of Satan fighting so hard to get us, it means that we're walking where we should be. And so you can either live and die with Satan and have pretty, probably a pretty comfortable life because he's going to leave you alone. Or you can choose to count the cost and you can live and die with Christ. And as you do that, Satan will never leave you alone. Jesus says to us, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. Go into the tux rental shop. They ask you if you know your measurements, or they begin to get the tape measure out, and they begin to, to fit you for your tux. They begin to measure your waist and your your length of your legs and your shoulders and, and they, they want you to pick out the, the tie and they want you to pick out the accessories and make sure that, that the vest fits just right and everything looks so put together. And then, depending on how much stuff you choose to put with it, they hand you the bill. And you have to decide is it worth the cost? Is it worth the cost? So what we have to decide today is each one of us is being invited to go and be fitted, but it's not being fitted for a tux or a gown or a dress. We're being invited to be fitted for a cross. You're being invited to be fitted for that. This one's hard for me because I immediately get envisions of my Savior as He was beaten, as He was bloodied, as He was spat on. And they smashed the crown of thorns on his head. The crown of thorns, folks, was not the cross. Yeah, that probably hurt. 
But that wasn't the purpose. And as he's bloodied, as he's got blood streaming down his face, as his back is beaten from the whips, then they fit him for that perfect fit of a crossbeam. And they make him carry. And even for your Savior, he fell down. It was too much of a weight to bear at times. And he falls down holding the cross. Why? Because the God the Father is fitting him for his cross. And his cross is to die for you and for me. And he knows he's going to a point where God the Father is going to turn his face from him. Why? Because he's carrying your sin. He's carrying my sin. And this whole time, he's being fitted to die. Pastor, I don't understand that we're not all going to die by the cross. I get it. So let me see if I can make it more applicable to us today. And I don't mean to be insensitive to anybody, so please forgive me if it comes across that way. But if we can't understand what it's like to be fitted for a cross, then maybe we do need to go talk to Jennifer this week at the funeral home. Maybe you need to look at some caskets. Figure out, Jennifer, would you fit me for my casket? She might say, why would you do that? You're, you're, you're not about to die. You're not going through this. Because I've been invited to take up my cross. To die. Why? Because Jesus is calling me to. He's inviting me to this. He's preparing me for it. The cross is not just some hurdle. It's not just some hardship that we're going to cross and get over and move on with life. If I could be so bold, our cross wasn't the election in November that we just get around and go on. Our cross isn't some bill that's about to be passed that's going to make our life hell on earth. That's not our cross, folks. Our cross is that we are to be fishers of men. We are to love our neighbor as ourself, to give God everything. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hurting. It's going to be blood-soaked, drenched. But it's nothing compared to dying. Have you been fitted for your cross? We're being invited to something special. A sacred invitation. You see, the cost of this fitting will be your life. The cost for this fitting will not be dealing with one or two hard things. The cost will be your life and it will cost you everything. The cross fitting is a fitting for our casket. Is it worth the cost today? Is it worth the cost? You see, the end of this text, verses 35 and 30 through 38 say this, if you try to hang on to your life, if you try to make the adjustments in your own way, guess what? You're going to lose. It's very clear. This isn't my word. This isn't my interpretation. It's in red letters, folks. It's Jesus' words. 
If you try to adjust this for your own agenda, you will lose. If you give up your life, if you die yourself, die to your selfish ways and your, your selfish desires, then guess what? You will save your life. Wow. Wow, if you have a fear of dying, I want to tell you this morning, the only cure for a fear of dying is to give up your selfish ways. To give up your selfish desires. To give up your own agenda. That's the only cure for a fear of dying. Why? Because the Bible says then you will gain your life. If you try to gain the whole world, you will lose. And then he asked this last question that I think is so good. Is anything worth more than your soul? So let's go back to the beginning. For a million dollars, would you wear a crown of thorns for a week? For a million dollars, will you in your own way rebuke Jesus? Jesus, this isn't going to work. I got plans next Tuesday. <laughs> I can't do this. For a million dollars, is it worth it? Is it worth it? The cost of your cross will cost you everything. Jesus is inviting us today He's inviting you to give up your soul. He's inviting you to give up your agenda. If you've been prepared, you've been prepped with the plan, here it is. It's a journey to the cross. You've been given opportunity to make adjustments, to, to get your life right, to get things in order, because it's a journey to the cross. And now you can count the cost because you know you're committed to the cross. The cross is the road, folks. The cross is the invitation. There is no plan B. There is no second option. The plan involves you and I dying to ourselves. The cost of this fitting will cost you your life. So, what are the next steps? What do I do with this? How do, I, how do I remedy this? How do I, how do I respond to this truth of God's word? Here's the next step. You have just been given a sacred invitation. An invitation that comes with great benefits. Life everlasting. Sins gone as far as the east is from the west. Eternity with your creator. It's an incredible invitation. But is it worth dying for? The choice is yours. Will you accept this invitation or not? Would you stand with me this morning?
Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I just want to give us a moment to prepare our hearts to respond to the truth of God's word this morning. God, you know my plan today. As you helped me to prepare this message, my plan was to, to just pray a closing prayer and be done. But as we've gone through this service, God, it's easy for us to, to be caught up in, in emotions and in the reality that your spirit is here. You are here in this place. It's tangible. We can feel you. And God, it's been so good to be in this place, to worship you together. But God, maybe there's somebody here today that's pouring out their life because of the hardship they're dealing with and the hurdles they're dealing with, and they've lost sight of the cross. God, maybe there's somebody here today that, that has never felt like they've received this invitation, and now they're just being revealed this new truth that in order to do this, in order to have this incredible blessing, I've got to put aside my own selfish agenda. God, I don't know where everybody's at today, but I do know this. The invitation today is for all of us. And I don't know where you're at today, but maybe in this moment of prayer, in this moment of preparation, or maybe it's happened even throughout the service, the Holy Spirit has prompted you already and said, you know what, I want you to take up your cross today. I want you to forget about the adjustments that you think you need to make, and I want you to come and die with me. If that's you today, I want to just invite you to come forward. We're not going to sing a song. We're not going to beg and plead. But if you need to pray, if you need to be fitted for your cross today, what a great opportunity to let your Heavenly Father take your measurements. Holy Spirit, would you just come and have your way? Would you fall fresh in this moment and in this place? Would you put aside any distraction of the enemy's voice that's saying, nah, I can do this some other time. Would you help us to recognize your voice? Your still small voice that's inviting us to come and to die. Father God, you are so good to us. And I'm so thankful for your love for us. I'm so thankful that you didn't forget us on the invitation list. You have sent us a personalized invitation. It's got our name on it. It was made with just us in mind. And God, I thank you for that, that you love us so much that if if we were the only person here, you would have still sent Jesus to fit his cross. And I thank you for that love today. God, I pray that you would help us all today. As we leave this place, would you help us not to leave here the same that we came in? But God, as we've received this truth and this, this reality that living for you, God, is not an easy road. 
Living for you is not a promotion to VP. Living for you will cost us our life. God, will you help us today as we leave this place to count the cost and to decide, is it worth it? Help us, Lord, to live surrendered lives for you. We love you. We give you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen, amen. Have a great day. We'll see you tonight at 6.30.